Hi, I'm Madhuri Krishnan, editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and welcome to the podcast. We're doing something a little bit different with the podcast now. We're bringing you audio of our weekly live stream, Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly, which we broadcast every week, every Monday, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern. Join us next week. We'll take your questions while we discuss the hottest topics in the airline industry. You can register at forum.skift.com. Hello, and welcome to Mondays with Skift Airline Weekly. I'm your host, editor Madhuni Krishnan, and I'm joined today, I've got the great fortune of being joined today by by <laughs> Seth Miller, the passenger experience expert extraordinaire and the founder and editor of PaxX.Aero. Good morning, Seth. Hi, thanks for having me on. So just before we get started, anyone who's listening, you can ask, we'll take your questions as they come in, use the chat function on the right hand of your live stream to ask questions, and uh, we will be re We'll be posting this uh, video later today uh, on our website, airlineweekly.com. And while you're there, check us out if you're not a subscriber. And we will be rebroadcasting this as a podcast on on Apple Podcasts and um, and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. So, Seth, let's talk about the passenger experience. What is the passenger experience in the time of a pandemic? You know, there's, for me, especially for an economy class traveler, which most of us are more often than not, uh, whether we want to be, uh, the best thing about the passenger experience has been over the years, if there's an empty seat next to me, yeah, I get that little extra bit of space. It's not the legroom, it's not the meal, it's nothing else. It's just that little extra bit of space to sort of spread out. And for unfortunately for airlines, but fortunately for passengers right now, that actually is sort of coming together more often than not, right? You've got low passenger load factors, um, where there are still fl- planes even flying, there aren't as many people there. So in that context, I can't say it's all bad. Uh, but just about everything else beyond that probably is <laughs> uh, worse than it was, right? We've gone from, yeah, we've gone from 85% load factors to, you know, 45%. So there's, the empty seat is fine, but can you get a meal on board? Probably not. Can you even buy a meal on board? Probably not. Do you get a drink on board? Well, maybe some water or a juice. Can you get booze on board? Probably not, right? You can sort of go down the list of all these things. Are there pillows and blankets on board? No. Um, and as for a lot of airlines, do you have to wear a mask on board? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that that's necessarily a bad passenger experience. It's certainly a very smart thing, and I endorse the concept and fully encourage everybody to do that. And if you don't, go, don't get anywhere near my airplanes. Um, but it creates a problem for me as I think about if I want to fly more than a couple hours, the comfort factor, just the ability to take a nap or sleep on a plane, like, you know, if I got to go to Europe and I'm also having to wear a mask, it's only a six-hour flight anyways. I feel like the only reasonable option for me at this point is the daytime flight from the East Coast because I don't think I'm going to sleep very well. Well, even I and, mean, even if you take a daytime flight, I mean, six hours without a drink of water or food yeah, kind of a long time. Yeah, and, you know, I'll... They've said that you can sort of remove it for the purpose of eating and drinking and then put it right back on. And that's obviously a very gray area. I'm trying to be more cooperative than most and probably more cooperative than I usually am with rules. So, you know, uh, there's that. But there is a challenge with that. And I have a friend, actually, who just went home from the U.S. to Australia. And she's in quarantine and doing the thing down there. But she flew Qatar Airways. And from that perspective, the, the planes were relatively empty. She had space. They served the foods. All that stuff was great. But also the crew were dressed in hazmat suits effectively, right? The sort of Tyvek jumpsuits. Yeah. And for your safety, I get it. But it's kind of creepy also. And so I feel like, you know, there's a challenge there in terms of presenting what is safe 
and being safe and also keeping the passengers comfortable and sort of willing to come back. And let's dig down on that for a minute about the hazmat suits. I mean, you're right. I I think AirAsia is doing the same. They're doing... They announced it for repatriation flights more than just regular operations. But yeah, same idea. Yeah, but I mean, let's dig... So, you know, I was talking to um, Chris Jones from uh, Vegas last week, the chief marketing officer of Vegas, Mm -hmm. and he said... You know, they're making an effort to, to spray and disinfect and fog public areas of the airport at peak times to sort of reassure the passengers that yeah. things are happening. And even, you know, here in San Francisco, I, um, Muni, the local public transport authority, um, you know, I happened to walk past a trolley stop, um, a few days ago and they were very obviously disinfecting yeah. the, the shelter, which, you know, actually made me think, oh, that's, that's kind of good. You know, maybe I will uh, I'll yeah. ride the, the streetcar again. And that's also something I've never seen before. Did they never do it <laughs> yeah, until now? Exactly. <laughs> no, that's true. But, you know, so, can an, uh, so do you think the, the, the hazmat suits on an airplane, does that do this, serve the same function? Or what's your sense? Does it go too far and is perhaps creepy and weird? Yeah, to me personally, I think it's probably a half step too far. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, maybe it's scale it back down to just wearing, like, a mask and then the plastic shield over it or something like that. Um, you know, over the in recent years, airline uh, crew have gotten to wearing gloves more often anyways, just like, through the trash pickup se- you know, cycle and whatnot. So I, I'm comfortable with that. But I, I do have this sort of vague feeling in the back of my head of, and we were talking before we came on the air, neither of us really feels comfortable wanting to get on a plane right now anyways, uh, certainly not with our spouses, or they don't want to. Um, and so, you know, how do I translate that from, it's a little uncomfortable, but I'm okay, I'm finally ready to do it, to am I taking enough precautions? Is everybody else taking enough precautions? And like, was this a smart choice? And I feel like if the crew are going that far to an extreme, is that sending the message of, no, we really aren't ready yet? Yeah. As opposed to a basic level, we're taking the right precautions, we're going to protect ourselves and protect you, but it's still sort of personable, it's still sort of there's some interaction and you can feel it. And, you know, the, the going sort of back to the overall passenger experience conversation, you know, I mentioned earlier, like, there's a lot of airlines where you don't get a meal and you can't even buy a meal. That's a big part of the passenger experience. Now, do you not have someone walking up and down the aisle saying, scratch card, scratch card, get your scratch card? That might be an improvement. Right. But the idea of, you know, you're on a three or four hour flight on a low cost carrier in Europe where there's now no ancillary sales on board. You can't buy anything probably in the airport either because most of the concessions are closed. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- where do you get food? Where, how do you, you know, and you can't bring that much on board at all. It's got to get, you got to get it through security. So it can't be a liquid or a gel, like all of those things. I feel like there's some real challenges to the experience and, you know, a long haul flight does those double just because now you've got more time where you're without food and catering. But even the three, four hour flights, I mean, maybe this is a, a terrible thing to admit, but I, I get hungry. Yeah. I, I need to eat. And so I, I bring gummy bears with me and I will have to pack more gummy bears now <laughs> when I travel, I guess. But, that's literally how I get through longer flights when I can't buy anything. And so, you know, not a terrible passenger experience for me, but the idea of not having that and, you know, the person who's running late and doesn't have time to stop or any of those things, it gets really hard to have a reasonable flight. And I just, I don't know, I feel like people getting grumpy and hungry or hangry even uh, is, 
you know, we don't want people getting stupid drunk because that's a passenger experience problem and they attack the flight attendants. But right. if they also are super hangry, are they going to start attacking flight attendants? I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of challenges there. Yeah, well, for sure. And, you know, the other thing, let's, let's just go back to the hazmat suit for one second. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't let, I can't let it go for some reason. But, you know, the, you, know the, you, you mentioned something that's interesting. Like, it sends a signal that we're not, the airline might not consider itself quite ready yet. But does yeah. that also raise the question to you as a passenger? It didn't, in my head, just thinking about it, is um, if they're dressed in hazmat suits, should I be dressed in a hazmat suit? Well, right. And so, I'm okay as long as I'm wearing a surgical mask, yeah. right? But they need to be fully suited up. And I sort of get that because they actually have to walk up and down the aisles. Right. They interact. And all I'm doing is sitting in my seat with the air vent blowing in front of my face to knock down all the germs and facing forward. And, right, like, it's my, I'll sit here for nine hours and hope I don't have to pee and then hope we land. Right. right? And deal with the other issues when we get there. So I do get that there's an increased risk factor there for the crew. Um but that's me applying, like, three extra levers of thought process to this that I feel like most passengers probably won't. Yeah. And it's a passenger who gets on board and is like, oh, yeah, the airlines just said everybody needs to wear a mask. That's cool. And they're going to be like, oh, my God, why are the crew doing this? And I feel like, as you said, it, it does create a, a potential problem where the passengers might then get worried that, the, you know, that they aren't prepared enough. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, perception's reality, right? And even if, like, yeah. to Las Vegas's example, they could probably fog the uh, public areas of the airport on non-peak hours, and it would get the same result. But right, and so um, I, I definitely appreciate that approach to it. Um, but yeah, I think there's it's a, there's a balancing act, and it has to be sort of. We're just touching up and finishing, not this is the the end all be all and everything. <laughs> I feel like. So where do we go? I mean, what 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 is it going to be like in the near term? I mean, in terms of like IFE, which is an area that you cover yeah. extensively. I mean, what 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 is what what is this pandemic doing to the pastor experience? <laughs> so IFE is super interesting in a lot of ways. Yeah. One of them is there's the touch challenge of you have to touch the screen to change the channel. You have to touch the screen to raise and lower the volume. Like there, So there's a lot of physical contact there. Um, there are some airlines and some vendors that have put together wireless sort of remote control options where you can pair your phone to the mm -hmm. screen to the IFE system. Uh, JetBlue has it on their a new A321neos, I know. There's a few others that are doing it as well that I haven't flown with. And it's rudimentary to say the least. You know, when I did that flight back in September last year and I got to use it for the first time, I was like, Okay, it's a little janky, I get it, they can say it worked, and like, there's gotta be a V2 coming out soon. Right. Today, I'd be like, this is the best thing ever, I don't have to touch that screen. Yeah. Right? So, it, it, part of it comes down to expectations and circumstances of what's sort of acceptable. Um, you know, th there's that that's coming around, and so I feel like that's gonna develop, uh, more quickly. How quickly it actually shows up on airplanes, of course, that costs money and is a retrofit, and so, you know, not really going to happen anytime right. soon. Yeah, not in the um, next month, obviously. No, <laughs> not in the next year, yeah. either. Um, <laughs> but, so, th there, there's some of that happening. There's also challenges with content. Content's expensive, and we've seen airlines suspend content refresh. Um, you know, especially... You know, if you're not if you're not flying at all, of course it doesn't matter. But the airlines that are flying a little bit or potentially reducing the movie count or how many new movies they're bringing in every month, and 
I guess the argument could easily be made, well, no one's flying us weekly, so it's okay. Um, the counterpoint to that is the people who are flying probably are the ones who have to fly and have to fly frequently, so maybe it is a problem. Um, live television uh, streaming on the satellite actually took a big hit. A number of airlines suspended that service. For cost waiting for Yeah, cost concerns. Huh. It's expensive. Yeah. And, you know, if you've only got... You know, maybe it's they just turned off the whole fleet instead of trying to turn off only the planes that they're grounding. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, you know, none of it's super expensive, but it all adds up. And when, you know, you're, you're faced with, you know, $30 million a day of cash burn, you know, saving a couple hundred grand does matter, yeah. right? You, you take the olives off the salad at that point. Right. No, absolutely. So we've got a problem with the touchscreens and Pat, that speaks to like passive yeah. confidence. But I didn't think about. I didn't even consider the content piece of it. So that, yeah. That, so yeah, they're taking the olives off the salad. <laughs> yeah. So and you know, is that going to be a problem long term? Depends on if they put it back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the airlines who I've spoken with and the vendors I've spoken with certainly about the live TV absolutely say they expect to bring the live TV back. Um, there, there's another reason to not run live TV. It turns out that all people care about watching is sports. Uh-huh. And there's no live sports right now. There's we've got Bundesliga just came back. I think rugby maybe in the UK just came back. Something like that. There's there's very little baseball content. In yeah, <laughs> that's right. The baseball in Korea. So you know, there's very little live content right now. So the need to broadcast that is much lower. So there's it's sort of a chicken and egg problem there, right? There's no demand, but there's also no supply. So there's no demand. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I do feel like that's part of it, and I do think it'll come back, but that's something that's happening right now. So, you know, the, the counterpoint to all that is you could say at this point, the airlines that invested in streaming IFE solutions must have been geniuses because the passenger can do everything on their own device. They don't have to touch anybody else's stuff. All the content is right there. Right. But, I mean, that doesn't quite real, that doesn't quite work, right, for, for long haul international flights. I mean, no one's flying long haul, but like, if they were. Yeah, I mean, if you've got, you gotta have power also, Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully you have a large screen, not a tiny one to watch on. Right. Right. I mean, it's the phone versus tablet concept, but, uh, it, it can work. Uh, would I want to sit there and hold my phone like this in front of me or even try to, you know, find a way to hang it over the seat in front of me? I, if that's all I got and that's the only place that there's content, I guess I'll, I'll make it work. Um, but like we said earlier, I don't really want to be on the plane anyway. Right. So it's, you know, I, I may not be the best example of who that's, you know, dealing with that. Right. But it's, yeah, it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge for the industry, um, in terms of, and you also have to go back, even if you are streaming it to your phone from the airplane, what content is there? Did they refresh it lately? Are there new releases or early window content available even? And that's been a licensing challenge for the industry for a while. It's They finally sort of started turning the corner, mm-hmm. um, sort of, a little bit. And so some of that's coming around, but getting good content that can be streamed as opposed to in the seat back is hard. Yeah. Well, what about, um, to go back to your uh, your question your the point you raised about uh, touchless IFE systems no matter how janky they may be i mean what's your best guess for when the when airlines more airlines might start deploying that i mean we're talking years right to retrofit yeah it, i mean it, it's tied to an underlying upgrade to the entertainment system on the plane this isn't a oh yeah we bought the whatever brand model combination. I don't want to disparage any of them because none of them do it. Uh, we bought product XYZ from the company, and it turns out we didn't select the wireless remote control option that we can just turn on. It, it's more complicated than that. And so 
that requires licensing extra software, extra mm-hmm. certification, or you know, rebuild of the OS that has to get loaded on, things like that. It's a little more complicated. It's not necessarily a full rip and replace, depending on uh, the platform, right? We've seen, like, you can do wish lists on Turkish and Singapore Airlines now, and that's tied into the Panasonic platform that they have running. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other airlines running that same platform that theoretically could implement the same thing um, if they went through the process of getting the apps integrated and stuff like that. So uh, it's not necessarily a full rip and replace, but for a lot of the hardware that's installed, it would be a major endeavor. So um, yeah, not happening soon, unfortunately. Right. Let's talk about Wi-Fi for a second. I mean, Wi-Fi, okay. before the pandemic, Wi-Fi was yearning to be free, right? And <laughs> we were headed that way. But I mean, that... It just seems like, if, as you said, if if we're at the point where we're taking olives off salads, like, yeah. uh, what is this? What did, what do you think? How has this affected the timeline for for free Wi-Fi? It's really hard to say. Um, I I want in my heart of hearts to believe that that's still marching forward. Uh, we did see a release announcement from GoGo uh, a couple weeks yeah. ago saying that Delta is still moving forward with mm-hmm. it. Um, they're looking at other options for additional capacity, which, you know, bad news for GoGo potentially, but they're still moving in that direction. They still want more capacity and they're working on some new contract details. So, uh, is it coming? Yes. I guess the real question was, did we think it was going to happen in 2020 or not? And I was probably iffy on that to begin with just because of what it would have taken for Delta to get there. Um, it would have been late in the year. I feel like I, I don't know. Maybe if they were really ready to launch it, Midsummer, which is you'd want to do it for the peak sort of traffic season. I think they would have had to realized a lot of the benefits and changes that they're trying to get out of GoGo or a third party, a third provider now, um, more quickly. And they need those in place before they really can go full network wide with free Wi Fi. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and they've said that they said like when we get to a hub, it's too congested and there's not enough capacity, right? So we know that there, that it isn't there. Um, you know. I can always throw the counterpoint out there, but remember, JetBlue always does it. Right. Uh, Norwegian uh, has had a free model for a long time, and now they have have it as a freemium where you can scale up and pay extra if you want it. So it does happen in a few places. Um, we are marching forward on that. I still think it'll come to pass. Uh, it's not going to be on many more airlines this year, I don't think. I do think that 21, 22, um, hopefully that there's some recovery. And also, I feel like the airlines have gone so much down that path, especially with Delta saying, no, no, we really are going to do this, that it would be super hard for them to back down now. They they can slow roll it a little bit, but they've got to really show that they're moving forward. Right. All right. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about yeah. the, uh, the premium passenger experience. Sure. Just because, uh, you know, until... Let's say December 2019. So just just before the pandemic, you had a bunch of carriers sort of in an arms race to be to out premium the other, right? There were, I mean, lavish lounges and and yeah. and just more and more, you know, like pajama sets and cashmere blankets and all, all kinds of things that were just like sort of just taken. As How the, many pillows do you want? We have five to choose from. How many pillows do you want? How many? How much flatter could your seat be? Like, whatever. You know, like, the pajamas, I always was like, really? Okay, whatever. They're so comfortable. <laughs> Although I'm I have, I, I'm a little bit snotty about my pajamas, which is awkward for a guy who spends most of my time in coach. They should have pockets <laughs> so on the pants so that when I'm walking around the plane, I can have my phone with me. Right. Um, and they should have a button on the collar so that when I'm seated and eating, I can attach my napkin oh. and not make a mess of myself. Oh. Those are two 
for any airline listening, if you want a good review of your pajamas, this is what I recommend. That's that's interesting. For me, the issue is always changing. Like uh, I'm, I'm six, oh, very awkward in the bathroom. Yeah, I'm six two. You know, like changing yeah. in the bathroom <laughs> just didn't really work. Plus, like gross. But anyway, um, but anyway, so so but you know that that the premium experience necessarily has to. I mean, it, everything's on pause now. And do you think? Yeah. Do you you know I've I've you've, we've all read the same things. We've reported the same things that they that uh, airlines are just going to have to scale back their premium ambitions because first of all there isn't the traffic, but secondly you know like you said and I I love that example the old American yeah. example of taking olives off salads. Right? Yeah. Like, so. No, I- I, I do think that there, we're, it's a pause again. I don't think, uh, and there, there's a little bit of a drawback, right? Like we've heard, I think American was on record as saying, we'll open the, re- the we'll reopen our flagship lounges when we have flagship passengers, huh. right? Uh, right. You, the Polaris lounges will reopen when United has Polaris passengers paying the rates. And we know that the food service can't be quite the same. Uh, like the buffet options aren't going to be quite the same. Maybe it'll all be now sort of order from a waiter. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good thing in some ways. Uh, the, the food was always very good. Um, so I, I liked that option, but there's a volume and there's a time challenge of how much can a wait, you know, waiter and back off, you know, back kitchen staff get produced as opposed to putting trays of bagels out for breakfast. Right. Um, or whatever it may be. And so you know, there is going to be a pause. There's going to be a little drawback there, uh, in terms of waiting for the business to return. But, you know, we've also seen some far more significant cuts that have already started to reverse, right? Uh, British Airways Club World uh, got the same catering as economy right. for transatlantic flights. Uh, and they've, they've switched it up a little bit now. Part of that was just how long it takes to transition anything in this industry, right? So now they went from everybody gets the same economy class snack box, essentially, as your meal to there's an economy version and there's a premium version. And it looks lovely from the pictures I've seen. Uh, but it takes a little bit of time for someone to come up with, okay, we got a cardboard box, put it in our blue, put our little sticker on it, put the ribbon that's in our right colors. Like all of those little decisions have to be made. And then someone's got to go out and make the boxes. And then someone's got to go out and pick what food is going to be in them that's going to be shelf stable or not. And all of those things. And then someone's got to get that to the catering contract and make sure that the price is right. And then the catering company's got to order the supplies and then start making it. Yada, 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 right? It goes on and on and on, and it takes time to implement those things. In a lot of ways, we could argue that the pace at which airlines are making some of these changes is actually incredibly fast. Yeah. And that they are, they're mass, they're moving way faster than they ever thought they could or probably wanted to, Mm -hmm. but it was desperation and necessity. And so here we are. And so now we have to figure out as this come, you know, as the cycles keep sort of rolling forward, is it going to be an incremental return, which I think probably is supposed to sort of just sort of big leaps. But what are those incremental steps going to be? How often are we going to see them happen? And I think especially because of, you know, returning to spending more and delivering those greater benefits, it's going to be a little more measured. It's going to be a little more deliberate. Um, and so you're looking at a, you know, the airlines will be able to announce, hey, we are doing this thing and it will start two weeks from next Thursday or two months from next Thursday or whatever it is. And then we'll actually see it happen. But it's, it all depends on people actually showing back up and buying the tickets at this point. Which, I mean, uh, that's anyone's guess, right? Yeah. (laughs) The, the thing, you know, we've reported on a lot. I, I, and we've all, uh, yes, there may be some domestic travel here and there, you know, or domestic travel is coming back both here and in Europe and in Asia. But when will long haul come back? I mean, that's anyone's guess. Yeah, I'm. The good news is you're really likely to get an empty seat next to you or your own row. 
So, um, and if the catering's the same, why pay for a premium? But <laughs> that's true. Yeah, you can have your um, <laughs> the old and, upgrade. Yeah, and I'm not paying for premium anyways usually. So <laughs> you know, it's it, that's a really tough one. When will long haul travel really rebound? I think we're still waiting to see what happens with uh, border closure rules. Just this week, Dubai announced its rules for reopening July 7th. Right. right? So that's going to be good news for Emirates. That should help them start to draw back some of that traffic. Um, although not that many people actually just go to Dubai. Most are connecting. Right. So uh, who knows what will really happen there. And also it's not a super easy process. I mean, I've looked at the details that Dubai has put out. I've looked at what Cyprus has put out. There's a lot of, you know, in a lot of, it's sort of like an ESTA, an ETSA mm-hmm. or whatever, where you have to like fill out the form and give your information and fine. But it's also, show up with a proof of negative COVID test yeah. with a PCR test that's only less, less than 96 hours old. And you have to have that by the time you land. And so with a long haul flight and a connection and this and that, like the time frame to get that done isn't great. Yeah. Uh, you you got to be able to like have a day off before you're traveling to make sure you can do all the things you need to do to be able to travel. And I mean, um, you know, like the, the, the hubs, the, the big transit hubs, let's say like, uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Istanbul, maybe Singapore. Like, yeah. Well, you know, I think Emirates, Said that it was going to have, uh, connections to their, their network is reopening to the point where they can have connections to about 40 cities, right? So, roughly yeah. Dubai. But, you know, with, with the differences in screening requirements and, um, l- l- each jurisdiction having, you know, just even, not just vastly different in some cases, but small differences in, I mean, where, that's another part of the passenger experience. Like, how is the transit yeah. hub going to change? I mean, are, are you going to have to do, like, uh, screenings, like, as you go through Dubai, as you transit Dubai or Abu Dhabi? I mean, that that is a possibility that's been raised, right? Right now, they're not planning that, right. but absolutely, it's a possibility. Um, you know, it's interesting. IATA has spoken somewhat aggressively about, we want everybody arriving at the airport to have to sort of show their proof of tests before they get inside. Um, and... I get it, right? If you can take a what sh- should and probably is already a very safe environment, which is the air travel experience, mm-hmm. and say, we know that everybody entering this bubble is clean or safe or not infected, that will should really help, um, one, reduce costs and reduce time and all those things, but also help uh, restore some of that confidence of you can feel a little more comfortable, even if you still wear a mask and everything else, but you can sort of feel like, I know that everybody around me is also supposed to be healthy at this point. It should be okay. Right. Um, and, and that's good news, though. Dubai uh, is not requiring that. If you show up in Dubai and don't have proof, you can get a test done at the airport, and then you wait in quarantine until the results come in, and then, obviously, depending on which way your test results go, you either remain in quarantine and isolation or you get to go have your holidays. Yeah. So, um, that's, yeah. yeah, but like, I, I think Cyprus was requiring the test. It wasn't optional. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, or depending on where you're coming from, maybe. So like, there, there are some challenges there in terms of these sort of inconsistent results and inconsistent policies. And yeah, it's really hard for a consumer to know, am I going to be able to actually go on the trip if I have to buy, you know, a month from now? And especially like, if you look out that far, who knows what the rules are going right. to be, right? Like, Spain just decided, oh, yeah, we actually are open to UK now. Yeah. But they decided it on Sunday afternoon and implemented it Sunday night. And until then, you didn't know. Yeah. So if you were a UK citizen, like, would you have bought a ticket to Spain for Monday? I can't imagine why you would without knowing. So, um, 
And, and depending on how the numbers start trending, you know, certainly around the U.S., we're seeing spikes in a number of regions. What I, you know, there was a lot of data supporting that the South, uh, Orlando, uh, Texas, the beaches there, and California were driving a lot of the return in demand. Mm-hmm. And those are also happen to be the places now where uh, infection rates are spiking. Right. Is that going to hamper the recovery again? Are we going to see a dip in air travel? And you know, the TSA numbers out today say that it's they're still growing, but they're not growing quite as quickly as they were two weeks ago. So I don't say we're not at a plateau yet by any stretch, but we definitely have hit a bit of an inflection point and slowed the growth. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that that IATA, as as you said, has been beating the drum about the need for consistency and the need for a coordinated approach. Because you're right. I mean, this patchwork of regulations could makes yeah. it impossible to plan a trip. And, and also for the airlines to not foot any of the bill and to make sure that the governments are handling all the paperwork. Yeah, Don't forget well, those there's parts. There's that too. But there's also, you know, like with the example you said in Dubai, like who's going to pay for the repatriation flight if you do turn yeah. out positive or who's going to pay for quarantine? Who's bearing the cost of all these tests? Right? Yeah. And yeah. the other and, thing that someone raised to me this week or last week was, um, you know, okay, it's great to have you have your little certificate saying I had my COVID test. But what if... What if Australia doesn't recognize a te- the test pro- testing protocol being used in Italy or, or just yeah. to pull two examples out of my head? I mean, how do you reconcile? It's just, it's a confusing yeah. time <laughs> I mean, to say yeah, that. Yeah, right. Very, I mean, very- and, and that is a real challenge. Of, I can do as much as I can to prove that I think I've got the right stuff here. But if you decide one day, oh, it turns out that lab wasn't any good or, oh, God, we found out that those tests are only 90% accurate, not the 95 we need. Right. Like does the whole does the whole network fall apart again and it's there's a real risk and i think we're going to see it in the u.s i'm worried in a lot of ways of if people say okay we're done and start to resume behaviors and have to lock down again or have to change rules again i i don't think that there's going to be much tolerance for that and then the recovery on the flip side of it the second that second sort of reopening is going to be way harder to pull off of just people gonna be like well, last time you said it was okay, what, what makes you, what, why should we think that this time is going to be okay? Why is this time different? And that's a real challenge for yeah. passengers in this experience. You're absolutely right. That's, should be, yeah. you know, that, that, uh, that wish, which also sounds, is starting to sound more like a curse, right? May you live in interesting yeah. times. Right? Absolutely. It, it always was a curse. That's how it was meant to start. Uh, <laughs> All right. All right, Seth, um, I'm going to leave. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to you today. This has been fascinating. Um, check out Seth, Seth's work at uh, paxx.arrow. He, he's, he's passenger ex- experience ex- expert extraordinaire, which try saying that five times. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> I did not give you that line about me. You made that up yourself. It's your own fault. Uh, it is my own fault. I should have written it down beforehand and tried it out because I, I'm saying that again. Um, Thank you all for listening. If you, uh, like I said, we will be rebroadcasting this as an audio podcast on iTunes and um, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out at airlineweekly.com. If you have any feedback, do not hesitate to drop me a line at mu at skiff.com. Thanks a lot, Seth. Thank you. Let's hope we're eating fried chicken and soul again sometime soon. Absolutely. All right. That was really good.